Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Terrace Talk, the Norwich City show, which is the equivalent of getting beaten 7-0 at Chelsea. Hopefully not. Um, we, we have to laugh, don't we? If you can't laugh, then uh, what can you do? I'm delighted to be joined by Mr. Ben Ambrose, who's Terrace Talk's equivalent of a super sub, because essentially when we need a guest last minute, Ben is always happy to come up and offer his services. So very reliable from the bench. Not quite good enough to be a, a, a starter as of yet. Um, he'll be hoping for a performance today that will maybe get him in the team in the, in, in the, in the weeks ahead. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. Um, let's start then with the interview that I'm sure everyone will have seen on, on our channels this morning with, with Norwich City's um, sporting director, Stuart Webber. He's uh, come out swinging at a lot of Norwich City's critics. He's answered questions about Daniel Farker's future, about his own future, about Norwich City's Premier League season so far. Um, let's just get your response to that first and foremost, Ben. I mean, we did a whole podcast on this, um, which people will be able to find on our YouTube channel anyway. But just to reflect on it very quickly, what, what, what did you make of it first and foremost? I thought it was about as good as it could have been for now, because I'm sure most Norwich fans, including myself, are kind of up for a scrap at any one at any point. Um, we're all very sensitive at the moment, aren't we? Because everything seems to be going wrong on the pitch. Uh, Mr. Weber made it clear that off the pitch, we're fine, essentially, um, which I'm just kind of like, yeah, fair enough. I guess that's a positive um, when you're looking at sort of the broader scope of things. Um, I, I'm not going to say I'm happy with what he said, because as a Norwich fan, if you're happy at the moment, alarm bells are probably, you know, probably need to be ring, uh, rung, ring, whatever. Um, but I guess it's the sign of a strong character. There we go a strong character leading the club um, at the moment. I like what he said about fans needing to not turn and all that sort of stuff, because if he'd have come out and just kind of rolled over and, and, and sort of put his hands in the air, then you would have kind of been like, right, well, you know, this soft-hearted man is, is, is spearheading this, this revolution. And that hasn't been the case. It still isn't the case. He's still willing to fight for everything. You can see he's passionate about the project. Um, for what all anyone might make of, uh, I think his contract situation, where this is the last season of his contract, whatever. If some people, and I know I've personally thought this in the past, where it's just like, all right, he'll just go and, and get a better job and we'll be left in the lurch. He's clearly passionate about this project, clearly. Um, and it came across really um, apparently in his interview. In terms of the faith in Farker, realistically, they're not going to ditch him. Um, in his own words, he's basically said, it's been five years in the making. We're not just going to ditch him the minute times get tough. I personally think it will end up with a situation where they need to maybe uh, sack Farker, but we've got five games coming up um, that could change the season. Um, the next three, especially, I keep saying seven from nine is a necessity for Norwich if they're going to want to step. If Daniel Farker is going to want to really keep the fans on board, I'm not going to say keep his job because the way Stuart Webber was talking was as if it was an under threat at all, which I suppose is um, in terms of how healthy the state of players at Colney and at Carrow Road from a Norwich City um, insider perspective, I guess him showing that faith is only going to be a good thing. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, th I thought it was all right. You know, I'm not going to complain too much. As I said, most Norwich fans are going to be up for a scrap at anything, aren't they? Um, so, um, <coughs> pardon me, I'm looking forward to seeing holes being picked in it uh, because it'll be funny. But other than that, yeah, it was all right when it is about Stuart Weber as it gets. What what did you make of his his comments about the supporters? I think that's maybe the issue that that some people have uh, have have picked and uh, picked out and, and and highlighted and disagreed with perhaps more than anything else that he said. Obviously, the comments on Daniel Farker's future is interesting, and you know a lot of it how it will be viewed in kind of the weeks to come. I suppose will be dictated by the result on Sunday, right? But in terms of that specific element about the fans and perhaps uh, how 
Stuart feels that, I guess, it's similarly to the players last weekend, they they still need to show a bit more. They haven't really turned up yet. Is that an assessment you would you would agree with? I wish all the players were as brave as Stuart Webber because then we wouldn't have to question the mentality, would we? Because he's very brave for what he says. I don't think he's wrong. I think he's absolutely spot on. Now, I'm not someone who goes to a game, and please give me flack if you want to for this, but I'm not someone who goes to a game and sings my heart out for 90 minutes every match. That's not who I am. So I'll say that now as kind of a disclaimer. But from what, what Stuart Webber said, well, what else is he going to call for? Um, I know there is kind of the back and forth between... Um, now, the club never engaged with it, really, apart from Stuart Webber today. But there's always the back and forth of, oh, well, if you entertain me, I'll cheer you on. If I cheer you on, you should entertain me and, and, and so forth. And it's kind of like a. Um, sometimes football fans are a bit like victims in the sense of if things aren't going great on the pitch, you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, oh, well, why should I cheer for 90 minutes of the game? Which sometimes is justified. I think right now we're kind of teetering on the edge of justified. But I think he's right. You know, we, we do need to get behind the players. And equally, I understand the argument that given how turgid it has been to be a Norwich fan so far through watching the football, through watching the media coverage of the football, the national media, that is not you guys. You guys are great, of course. Um, but it's, it's just a case of I, I understand where you're sat at a game. And I feel this. And I'm sure I know it's difficult for you two because you're a journal. But for me as a fan, I'm sat there like, I can't muster up the strength to, to sing or chant or to, to get behind these players because I'm defeated. Um, so I understand sort of both sides of it. But the easier thing to do is just, just be loud and proud, isn't it? Um, Norwich fans have done it before. And if we are going to turn this around, it's going to be a group effort. We've all got to chip in. Um, you know, we're all football fans. We all understand the impact of fans on the players. I mean, we saw it for the entirety of last season, didn't we? The importance of the presence of a crowd, um, but not only a crowd, a loud crowd. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's right, and I think we should get behind. Um, we should get behind the players, but I, don't take it too personally. Is all I'll say. He's not attacking you personally. Watching the video, watching the interview, he's not saying, "Oh, you're not good enough." He's just saying in general. Let's step it up a bit, and and maybe we will too. Yeah, it's, it's it's the chicken and egg thing, isn't it? What kind of feeds what? Do the fans lift the players? Do the players lift the fans? I mean, it's this age-old discussion. I don't think anyone will ever ever truly discover an answer to it. I think, in truth, is there's probably a little bit between between the two. Although I was having a conversation with someone the other day who I won't name at this stage, who um, was just speaking about how interesting it is how few chance there are at the moment for individual players. And I guess that's reflective to the start of the season, right? Because if a player performed really well, then maybe one would have uh, been created. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting and probably deliberately provocative, you would say, ahead of that week, ahead of the weekend game as well. And it is crucial. Um, let's talk about that game, the game we don't want to speak about. Chelsea 7, Norwich City 0. The scoreline, disappointing. The performance, even worse. Um Look, I think everything that there is to be said about the game has been said already. So to try and put it in the context of this weekend and the game against Leeds, because everyone knows Norwich weren't good enough. Stuart Webber said it. The players um, will have fought it. Um, Daniel Farker has said it. The criticism um, has, has been pretty relentless. So so we know the performance, but let's, let's park that. I don't think we particularly need to discuss that anymore because I don't think, to be honest, we can offer any other words that have been said already. Um, but in terms of using that this weekend, is it now inevitable, given the noise, the criticism that they've had, the questions they've been asked, the questions that have been asked of them as well? Is there an inevitability about some form of response this weekend? And how important is it that that gets channeled into something tangible that the fans can get behind? 
yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, it, it's going to be difficult. Like It really is for fans, for players. But And to be desperately positive. What, one thing I will say quickly is I don't mind talking about this game. I, I was at Colchester. I, I was at the Colchester game, sorry, uh, when we lost 7-1. It will not get worse than that. Never. Um, it really won't. So anything um, that isn't as bad as that when we have a bit of a dodgy moment is a bonus, really. But it's going to be tough. And the one sort of li- little positive, I-, I think it's a positive, is logically, right? And I say logically, theoretically, it's a very easy fix for Norwich because you look at that performance and Daniel Farker is right in the sense of that result is never going to define our season. It's not. It still doesn't. It hasn't. It will never. But it's the style of performance. It's the lack of guts. It's the lack of bravery, which everybody has said um, time and time again, and rightly so. But theoretically, it's an easy fix. You've just got to get your players to go out there. And however Daniel Farker chooses to do this, because I don't see him as a hair-dryer treatment manager. I see him as kind of a, um, the calm, composed, little wink on the way out of the door um, type manager. So however he does it, I don't mind. But if you're not favourites to win the game of football win the mental battle. And I don't think it's a difficult lesson to teach. Norwich just need to go out and in the first 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of the game, do what Brighton did to us. Get in our faces. Make life uncomfortable. You look at Ben Gibson getting the ball um, in the first 15, 20 minutes of the Brighton game. He's on the back foot. Every single time he was on the back foot. Norwich City need to do that exact same thing. And they need to do it for um, at least the first 20 minutes of the game to get Leeds rattled because Norwich is a home team. So naturally, there's going to be the expectation that we should have a bit more of the ball, um, a bit more sort of control over possession because, you know, having the ball is one thing, but actually dictating the game is another. Um, But that's how I think you change it. That's how I think you should fix it, really. Um, And and theoretically, say Norwich are, are comfortably in the game, they've got Leeds rattled in the first 20 minutes. You forget the previous nine games of the season and suddenly you're in a game of football after three points in control. Um, but, you know, we, we, we know, you know, we're football men, Connor. We, we understand it's not as simple as that. But that, that, that's my fix. I, I think there is something to hold on to um, because if there isn't, then why, why are we going is my, is my question. Well, exactly that. And, and just to kind of pick up a point you, you raised there about mentality um let's let's discuss that a little bit because it's something that has been raised by supporters um this week daniel farker's comments last week obviously they they went into the game at stamford bridge and he described it as the toughest game in world football he then came out after the match and but essentially said some of his players had autograph books out it's it's look there is, there is a realism to what daniel farker says there is a truth to what he says about going to stanford bridge being tremendously difficult for a club like Norwich city in the situation there is but is there a fine line between just exactly um how realistic he needs to be with just how much his words influence the players um yeah <laughs> I, I, I he needs to temper it um i and I, I'm not sure this is really answering your question or not, but I, I'm on the edge of not being a fan of the way Daniel Farker talks in press conferences. I think tomorrow is a massive one. Um, I don't know when this video is coming out, so it might be after the press conference. I don't know. But I I didn't mind it the first season in the Premier League because, you know, it's well documented. We weren't having a go. Um, and I didn't really mind it in his first season at the club. Now, you can even argue his second season at the club. But the way he tries to downplay stuff worries me for, as you mentioned, the way he talks to the players. I, I don't, 
I don't quite get. I, I'd love to know how the two align because if it's anything like what he says to you, what he says to the press, then I, I wouldn't want to play for Daniel Farker because it's so soft. Um, now, I wouldn't want to be Brentford rather than Norwich, I think, in the long run. But the way, um, what's his name, Thomas Frank talks about Brentford, I just think, and now I know they have the naivety, they have the sort of, um, the, the wind in their sails, don't they? They have that newly promoted vibrancy about them. But I just, just, just do that, Daniel Farker. Do that, because all the press is for is for us. It's for the fans. It's so you get paid, and so I feel entertained and ready for games. That's what the press is. Um, and if, if, if the way he talks to the press as I said, aligns with how he talks to the players. I, I, I'd be, you know, I, I don't know how he's lasted this long, um, which makes you think it's not. But yeah, I, I just, I, he treads the line, doesn't he? Uh, as you say, between realism and I think defeatism is a bit strong, but you know what I mean? But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tightrope he has to, 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 to walk and he does it interestingly at times. But if we now go and win um, 3-0 on the weekend after him down playing the game again, I don't think I have um, much of a leg to stand on. Is, is there an element of protecting his own position within what he says, do, do you feel? Uh, this, is, this is a point, I think, that can be raised at, at, at head coaches who are under pressure at, at any level. We, we'll see it from with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment um, and, and various other managers, Mikel Arteta earlier in the season, Steve Bruce as well. Managers have to protect their own position ultimately. Um, is there an element for that from, from Daniel Farker, do you think, and, and these realistic comments are they not just tempering expectations a little bit? And as we said, a lot of what he says is realistic. Sometimes it's probably a little bit too realistic, maybe. Um, but is there an element of him protecting his own position within kind of the, the way he speaks to the press, do you think? I feel like he might tell you yes, but no, I, I don't think so. Um, we know one thing, and that is ignore the noise. That's the mantra at Norwich City, isn't it? Um, and effectively, as much as maybe he don't want to hear it, we fans, the media are, are all noise, whether it's positive, negative, it's all noise. Um, so I think anything he says to people that aren't, you know, within direct conversations um, to, to Stuart Weber, etc., when he's not talking to someone like that, I, what he says, I don't think it matters in, in terms of his job and, um, and, and the security of it, if you will. Um, Stuart Weber's the guy who takes the fall. Well, he, I mean, he was most recently, but he's the one who'll come out. And I, I don't think he particularly cares what anyone thinks of him, which, I mean, fair enough. Um, but Daniel Farker, I think, does. So I think there is the perception that he wants to create, that he's clever at his job. But I don't think it relates at all to, um, to, to the security of his job. We've seen firsthand, haven't we? The minute you sort of strike his pride a bit, he gets a bit flustered. He gets a bit intense. Um, but no, I, I don't think it relates at all to the security of his job. We know for a fact that direct conversations with Stuart Webber and, and their very close relationship, which you can literally see as clear as day from the outside. Um, we know that the conversations between those two will always be uh, will always be transparent. Now, I know a lot of clubs don't have that, do they? Um, you look at all this sort of circus around Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment, don't you, and the security of his job. Um, I look at Fabriciano Romano's Twitter sometimes and it's like, this guy's got to talk to this guy about that, to this guy about that. And it's a bit of a circus, isn't it, in terms of the security of a manager? There's no close-knit mentality there, whereas at Norwich, it's the complete opposite. So um, to answer a very short and simple question in a very long way, um, no, I, his job's never under threat, or he never has to protect it, I should say. 
Interesting stuff. Let's um let's move ahead to to Leeds then. I mean, it, it feels a little bit impossible to kind of predict which direction Norwich City go in after a seven nil defeat. Um, but what I'm about to ask you to kind of say the impossible, really. But what do you think? Or maybe I'll reframe it. What what would you do if you were Daniel Farker in in this position and you're kind of looking to rectify a seven nil defeat? A squad that's low on confidence that will have been eroded even further this week because of all of the criticism that that they've faced and rightly so for their performance. I'm sure they would all admit that. Um, how does he go about turning a team from one that produced what we saw at Stamford Bridge last weekend to one capable of winning a Premier League match against Leeds on Sunday? What is the process and what is the kind of formation and setup that you'd look to implement? Great question. This is my audition for the job. If, if Daniel Farker goes, is this what's going to get me it? So what I do is I personally, I want to switch back to the 4-2-3-1. Um, and that's not really um, on the logic that, oh, it worked brilliantly last season because I know the personnel is different to last season. My, my logic, <coughs> pardon me, my logic is nothing else is really working from an attacking perspective. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to a 3-4-3. I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't be opposed. Um, I understand and I, I think I agree with the Scholes roshitzer argument. Um, of the idea that we spent all this money on them. Let's at least use them. I don't think the price tag should warrant them playing, but I think what we know about them uh, and the potential that Stuart Webber, the recruitment team, have seen in them, I think that warrants um, maybe a little bit of a gamble. Um, and we've just lost 7-0. So you could make 11 changes and nobody would have a right to complain. Um, but I think that's what I do in terms of formation. In terms of maybe attitude um, and setup. I've already said it. It's, it's about the mental battle. I think in the first 20 minutes of the game, you've got to outrun the opposition, which is something Norwich used to do. They used to be very intense. They used to be very high pressure, but we haven't been for a long time. We need to get back to that. Um, and I, I do just want to say as well, the buck doesn't lie, especially after the 7-0 defeat, it doesn't lie totally with Daniel Farker because Daniel Farker could have jeered them up brilliantly. He could have given them some fantastic tactics, but the way the players played was abysmal. Everybody went missing. I, I said after the game, if I was a player in that match, at the very least, I'd want to just kick lumps out of someone. Now, I know for someone like Timu Puki, for example, that's not his style. But for someone, say, like Josh Sargent, who is clearly a bit of a workman, just go and kick someone. Like, go and get a yellow card. Now, it's a footballing cliche in the sense that I'll oh, toughen up, be a bit more aggressive. I, I don't care. It's what Norwich City need to do. Um, and if they can do that in the first 20 minutes of the game, sort of take the upper hand in the mental battle, then I think we'll set ourselves in good stead because I, I do believe we have the squad to stay up. I do believe the players are there um, with bags of ability as the phone starts to ring. But uh, as I go to mute myself, that, that's what I do. I, I honestly think it's that simple. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a really intriguing weekend. Leeds, of course, having some some issues of their own to entertain with in terms of injuries, um, poor form. They have, they have only one win so far, and that's arrived against Watford. That, of course, Leicester to Zisco, Munoz getting sacked, Claudio Ranieri subsequently taking that job. Four draws, four defeats for a team that finished ninth last season as well. Calvin Phillips expected to be back this weekend. Um, ben, you're, you're going to be at Carrow Road um, on Sunday. How do you expect this game to go, first and foremost? Um, because I think there's the fear that if it goes the way that we all fear it might, then it could be somewhat toxic at the end of the game. Um, and then just finally as well, to, after you conclude your thoughts on that, um, give us a score prediction as well. 
Hmm. What I will do for you now, Connor, is I'll undo everything I've said in the sense of, realistically, I, I don't think Norwich will press for the first 20. I think it's going to be a very, very nervy first 15, 20 minutes. I can see one of two things, and I, I, I can't see another nil-nil. I can see either Leeds scoring after 10 minutes and it being a horrible, horrible Sunday afternoon, or I can see Norwich scoring in the first 10 minutes and Carrow Road being electric. Um, now, I don't think it would last the full 90. I don't think many, atmos- uh, many atmospheres in England last a full 90, but I think we'd get pretty close because Norwich fans want something to believe in. They want something to sing about. They want something to shout about. Um, and I think a goal in the first 10 minutes w- would be that. Um, if the lineup's popular, which after losing 7-0, being in Norwich's position, it's a tough one for that to, 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 to be popular. I think that will set us in good stead. If it's, say, one change because Ben Gibson's been sent off 5-3-2, I think Daniel Farker's already fighting a losing battle in terms of um, the atmosphere. But to, to, to be honest with you, it could go any way. And I'm going to be an idiot and I'm going to say, I'm going to go there on Sunday and expect Norwich to win. Not only am I hoping for it, but I expect Norwich City to win. We know what Leeds are capable of. We know they're a very good footballing team. But whilst they've been a footballing te- a good footballing team, at the peak of their powers, defensively, they've been shambolic, which, you know, it doesn't matter when you can attack and, and play as free-flowing football as they have done. Um, and I think this one means a little bit more to, to Norwich fans um, because, you know, there is that kind of, dare I say, unspoken rivalry with Leeds. But I think the players will be properly up for it. I know Daniel Farker will be. Um, I hope the players are. Uh, and when I say up for it, I mean willing to just put the effort in. Because against Chelsea, no effort, no effort at all. Um, in terms of a score prediction, uh, I'll say I'll say 2-1 Norwich. Just because if you predict Norwich to lose, you're boring. If it's a draw, it's, it's not going to be a draw. Let's be an idiot. Let, let's say 2-1 Norwich win. But I, I, I do genuinely expect to win, which is um, sticking my neck on the line a bit. But I, I, I do. Um, I really do. Good man, Ben. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for stepping in at a very short notice as well. So that was the Norwich City segment on this week's um, Terrace Talk, just because um, we, we couldn't get the two guests uh, at the same time. We've decided to do similarly to what we did um, before the Burnley fixture and split it up. So we're now going to um, leap ahead to part two of this episode uh, where I catch up with uh, Leeds fan and YouTuber Ellis um, looking ahead to this game on Sunday. And just like magic, here we are into part two of the episode. We're going to discuss Leeds United now, Norwich City's opposition for Sunday's game. Delighted to be joined by um, a YouTuber from from away days. I'm sure several people will know Ellis, uh, Leeds United fan as well. Ellis, thank you so much for for joining us. I suppose the the first question I've seen this debated on social media a little bit at the moment. Um, it's a game between two clubs whose fan bases probably aren't feeling the most confident. I think that's fair to say after their respective Premier League starts. So who do you think is in probably a worse state heading into this weekend's game, maybe even in terms of fan bases rather than perhaps teams? I think the problem with us is like, as soon as things go wrong, like Leeds, like there is panic stations like on board massively. I think the issue with us is every fan this summer realised we needed depth. And now we've had injuries. Like I don't, I can't recall Bamford getting injured last season. He may have, but like even like his form may have been seen as unsustainable for this season as well. So it was really confusing as to why we didn't get a backup for him. I know we've got Rodrigo, but Bielsa doesn't tend to like to play him up top. And obviously we've got Gelhart now, who last week has really given us a lift. 
I think that point last week for Leeds was a massive turning point because the the loss against Southampton for us was so like we just didn't lay a glove on them and it was kind of like what do we do until Phillips and Bamford are back and like are we capable of doing stuff but now it's kind of like we outplayed Wolves and like that for me was kind of like we're going to be fine so I think our fan base is kind of like not writing this down as a win but we're kind of expecting I think the thing is with Norwich is like I I, I sent I obviously some of my family members are Norwich fans and that I get the vibe from them that it's a bit of frustration behind it's all in good winning the championship, but you outperformed Brentford and Watford massively last season. And now you're like a gulf between them. So I can see, I think this weekend's a massive game. I think if you lose personally, I can see Fark going. I get the sense now that more than ever, a lot of the Norwich fan base is, is around the idea of get moving on. So we'll see. I think it's a, it's a really intriguing game because if we lose it as the Leeds perspective, then we're in trouble. <laughs> Well, this, this is what I was going to ask you because uh, obviously Marcelo Bielsa has, uh, I don't know if God like status is probably uh, overselling it a little bit, but he's, he's, he's someone who's revered um, up in, in Leeds for the job that he's done. Extraordinary job, obviously took Leeds back to the Premier League, which is something that no one else has been able to do in, in X amount of years. If Norwich City do win this game on Sunday, is, does there begin to be a conversation about him and his methods in the second season of the Premier League? Is, is that maybe a, a little bit of a stretch too far? How do you kind of see it? I don't think there's ever, there may be from a small section of fan base, but I don't think, I think it's so hard to appreciate the job he's done if you didn't, like, because, like, people seem to forget, like, Phillips, there was rumours of him going to Preston for £200,000 before Bielsa came in. There was rumours of, like, Click was on loan at FC20, uh, somewhere in Holland. Like, he wasn't, like, getting a look in. Now Dallas and Ailing, the players, like, what he's done with the squad at his disposal is incredibly impressive. I think the conversation would be more around why were we hesitant to strengthen in the summer? Like we were linked to like Noah Lang, who's now the performances he's had in the Champions League, he's never going to come to Leeds. And it's going to be like, because we know Rafinha's leaving next summer. There's no way Rafinha stays at Leeds another season. And it's kind of always been the case anyway. We knew we were never going to keep a player of that quality. So I guess the conversations would be, why did we only sign James and Furpo? Why did we not sign cover up top another player to play like as the 10 because the, the consensus really is that maybe Tyler Roberts isn't of the standard to be in the Leeds United side so I, I guess that would be the conversation more than Bielsa being called yeah I think the conversation would be more around that is, is there an element I, I know and um, we'll get into obviously the injuries which have clearly played a massive start uh, part rather into into Leeds United's start to this season mm-hmm. but is there an element that last season as well has maybe created a little bit of expectation that wasn't there a year ago because of the ninth place finish, because you won 18 games in the Premier League, because of how seamlessly it seemed that Leeds adapted to life in the top flight? Has that created a bit more expectation, do you think? I think so. I think there was always there was a lot of people saying that Leeds would be challenging for Europe. And I was like, no, I think we're going to finish lower. My expectation this season was we'd finish around 14th and have a cup run. We're out of the Carabao now. But I think the FA Cup, it'd be nice to see Bielsa take it seriously because certainly in my lifetime, I've never seen us take a cup competition seriously. Obviously, when we're in League One, we had some amazing runs, but we were never going to win it. But now I feel like we could maybe position ourselves in that. And I think maybe from the, the media, I think there was an expectation or maybe Leeds can challenge for Europe. But I think that, that negates the fact that Arsenal underperformed last season. So did Tottenham. 
Everton underperform realistically. And obviously Aston Villa recruited really well. So I think the expectation for us to be up there, I think was maybe one step too far. It's, it's interesting because, I mean, you look at the league table now, Leeds got five draws in total last season. They're already on four this season. What do you kind of put that put that down to? Because that seems to be perhaps the biggest difference. Is it fair to say Leeds are drawing more games than maybe they're winning at the moment, just in terms of when comparatively to last season, when perhaps they were winning games that maybe they, they would have drawn this season, if, if you kind of get the gist of the question? Yeah, I think missing Bamford has been like, he, is, he was such a match winner for us last season. And I actually think he was really unlucky to not, go to the Euros because I think he was so he was the second top English goal scorer other than Harry Kane so the fact he didn't like he was massive for us last season and he's not just massive in terms of goal scoring he's massive in terms of that work rate and presence up front his hold up play and the stuff obviously you saw a completely different play when he was at Norwich but like everything he does for, he's like integral to our system and it would be very hard it's very hard to replace him if we were to sign another player but it's also very hard to replace him when we don't have him and especially the last two games, we haven't had Phillips either. So I think the draw against Wolves, we deserve to win. And I think scoring the penalty at the end with Rodrigo scoring, maybe we'd expect him to be a bit more for the money we paid. Maybe we'd expect more goals out of him. But I think you could make the argument he's never played in position. So, yeah, maybe we, I think that's the concern. If we draw, I can see this weekend being a draw. And that's where we're kind of like, we're not winning games, but we'll see. Yeah, it's, 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 as you said earlier, it's really intriguing, I think, for both sides. Leeds with, with the draw last weekend, which, as you say, could be so pivotal for them. And, and Norwich coming off the back of a, a 7-0 defeat, which um, we, we have spoken a lot about in the first part of this. So we won't, we won't dwell on that for, for any longer than, than we have to. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, with, with Leeds? Because the, the nature of the club is that because of the name of it, there's so much expectation. And as you said there, there were people who were talking about challenging for Europe and competing uh, maybe the top end, the upper end of the, the Premier League against massive football clubs. Is that, is that just part of parcel of, of Leeds being in the Premier League? Is, is it people needing to look at the bigger picture a little bit and understand how difficult it is for clubs to establish themselves? I guess Brighton are probably a good example at the moment of a team who almost had to sort of feel their way into life in the Premier League. Several clubs have had to do that as well. It's it's a really ruthless division. And if you kind of sleep on it, it can it can catch you the other end, can't it? And it's the threat of relegation, I suppose, that that is a is a is a worrying prospect. So do do you get the sense, A, that the expectation has has maybe had a negative impact this season, but also that the fear of relegation is that is that genuine at, at this stage? Is that fair to say? I'd say like until we're safe, it'll always be that because it's not a very romantic answer. But the reality is for clubs like Leeds and Norwich, we're never going to be able to compete financially with these. Like look at Newcastle now. They're now one of them. And to be honest, I actually think Newcastle may well go down this season because it's all well and good them having this money in January. But if you're already basically down by then, you can't really do anything with it. So I think I think we're lucky that yourselves pretty bad. Uh, I think Watford will be down there. I think Burnley are going to struggle this season. I think this season there's there's quite a few noticeably bad sides and I wouldn't put us in that bracket. So I think we'll we'll be fine. It may be a different conversation come about five o'clock Sunday, but I think we'll be all right. And I actually, to be honest, I think Norwich, you will pick up. I think the one mistake you maybe made was not getting in a striker after Pookie, not really firing in all cylinders after the first month or so last time. From an outside perspective, I thought that would be after Buendia left, I thought you'd maybe go and spend 20 million 
on a striker. And obviously last time it didn't work with Van Wolfswinkel, so that might be why there was hesitation. But I thought maybe there would be like a, we're going to really put a name to the club now. And I don't feel like you have that, which is why I think you're, I see Sat Sunday as a game where we need to be winning it. Well, well, this is it. Yeah, this is it from a Norwich City perspective. It's, it's interesting because it's uh, it's obviously not just yourself. We, we speak to a lot of opposition fans and, and fans of clubs that support Norwich City. And it's almost this is this is the game that every single one of them circle and say, well, that's the one you've got to win, isn't it? Just because of the state that Norwich City are in at the moment. And um, again, we're, we're kind of into hypotheticals a little bit, but would there be more concern on your part about Leeds if they failed to win this weekend, given Norwich are coming into this off the back of a 7-0 defeat, which isn't always kind of the easiest thing to be a team next, is it, after that? Because, well, you would expect to be the team that kind of experiences the response from that heavy defeat. Yeah, exactly. And I also feel like a lot of the core of your squad has been with Fark now for a little bit. And I, I, there's the, the, like from an out, it's got to be if you lose this weekend, it has to be the conversation that is this the right man to take us forward? And I feel like a lot of them will maybe feel indebted to him. And I'm not saying they're not performing for whatever reason anyway, but the the added pressure of Fark's job potentially being on the line, it's going to be a tough game. And obviously you haven't, you've played two games this season that you haven't lost. And maybe you could argue you should have won that Brighton game if Sargent could score in an empty net. <laughs> but it's like, I think the, I'm not concerned about us conceding this weekend. I'm concerned about us scoring, which is what my concern last weekend. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think there is added pressure. And it's, you don't, because you're going to win a few games this season. Like It's just inevitable. You were the best side in the championship last season. And I think maybe you'll start the season. People are maybe not considering you've had, you have had some tough games. So it's maybe not reflective of the entire season, but I just don't want to be the first team you lose to lose to you. I don't mind. I don't really wouldn't mind a draw. If you draw your away games, win your home games, that's what people say. A draw wouldn't be the end of the world, but a loss, it would. Yeah, it would feel like doomsday. Hmm. You, you've you mentioned the injury crisis a, a few times at the start of this. I mean, I'm sure lots of people would have watched the Newcastle game that w- that was that was televised a few weeks ago. Where again, you saw a couple of uh, of defenders limp out of that. A lot of academy players amongst the bench. Just talk to us a little bit about what that situation is is like now. Is it eased somewhat? And I think Norwich fans will have noticed that Calvin Phillips returned in in midweek. Clearly, a major boost for you guys. Hmm. Yeah, Phillips is essentially, Phillips and Bamford are the system. Like, obviously, Calvin, you saw, I would like to think people saw for the Euros how great he actually is. And I think he's so massive now. And that would be the biggest concern if I was a Norwich fan, like how he will dictate that midfield. If you don't have people there to negate him, he will be allowed to just dominate that midfield. He'll be picking passes left, right and centre. And we've got Rafinha fit. Dan James is looking lively as well. So my concern if I was a Norwich fan now would be James and Rafinha with Phillips playing the ball. So the issue, I would say the thing that should give you encouragement is we're missing Bamford still for injury. But I would say in terms of the options from the bench, yeah, they're not great for us, I'll be honest. But we've got youth, like Somerville looked great against Wolves. Gelhart looked great against Wolves. And you've got Sam Greenwood there, who's really exciting and young. So I think it's one of them where we will have options. But if, us, if it gets at the 60th minute and we haven't scored, there, there isn't much for us to throw on, really, other than youth. So maybe you could take heart from that, and if that is the case on Sunday. 
You, you alluded to earlier, Patrick Bamford obviously had uh, a loan spell with Norwich. I'm trying to put this diplomatically. That perhaps wasn't the best for, for either parties. There was um, one really good shot against Manchester City that I remember where he hit the bar from about 40 yards out and that was ridiculous. That was pretty much all that Norwich fans saw of him, really. Mm. What's been, uh, I'm sure Leeds fans get asked this a lot, what's been the secret to what he's done subsequently? at? Uh, and I suppose we saw glimpses of it at Middlesbrough, probably not as consistently as we've seen it at Leeds, but... Essentially, he's gone from someone who had so many loan spells to someone who's maybe found the home a little bit of these. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, and now he's suddenly an England international striker. And look, Norwich have had this with Harry Kane before. I think that's that's fair to say. Um, so what's been the secret to kind of Patrick Bamford's vast improvement since Norwich fans will have seen him in, in, in yellow and green? His work rate and drive just to get better is like probably the best I've seen at Leeds. Like, We'll be 90 minutes into a game, we'll be 4 0 up, and he's still absolutely going for it. Like his drive, I think Phil Hay, our journalist, called him like Patrick Iron Lungs Bamford. Like his work rate, and he just that determination that must echo off the pitch as well. And I remember in Bielsa's first season, there were still question marks over him. Like, same happened when we signed Chris Wood, actually. If you're a striker at Leeds and you miss a few chances, um, and we maybe drop points, like it, the fans can turn on you. And I, I don't think if you were to Ask, I think Bamford's mentioned it, the fans weren't all on his side. And it wasn't really until lockdown that things really began to steamroll again for him. I think noticeably anyway. I remember I was at QPR just before, uh, we played QPR maybe just before lockdown and he missed a big chance and we lost that game and everyone was like, is it happening again? But I think, yeah, and also Bielsa, like when he was struggling, you'd see training videos of Bielsa hugging him. He'd score a goal and Bielsa would run over to him and give him a hug. Like I think he knew... There was a player there. He was a Bielsa signing. So I think there was just always that. I think they work so well together. He work, He suits the system. He's. He works hard. I think he's just a player that really the fans can get behind because he shows he really does care. Just just finally then, before we kind of turn our attentions onto Sunday, I'll, I'll ask you a question that um, I, I know is a bit of a myth. And, and I was going to ask you about how frustrated you get at people talking about the Bielsa burnout, so to speak. You know I was going to mention it. I'm sorry. Uh, and I, I know it's a myth and I'm sure everyone else will know it's it's a myth. But does it, I, I suppose, runs of forms and starts to campaigns like this. And it's fair to say Leeds didn't start the campaign superbly last season. I think they had four points more at this at the same stage um, last season and ended up finished ninth. So um, this could all be completely nonsense. But even though we both know it's a myth, is it fair to say that the longer this run goes on, particularly with a defeat on, on Sunday, it kind of allows that narrative to be formed a bit more, doesn't it, I suppose? Yeah, I feel like Leeds fans feel like it's just really lazy journalism. Like, not, yeah. not on your behalf, because you're acknowledging it's a myth. So no, but like, it's... Like, for example, the narrative last season was a Bielsa burnout, whilst Leicester, two seasons in a row, have genuinely burnt out. Like, they were they were on the top four finishes twice in a row, and they faded away. Yet the media, because I feel like there's a lot of loving for Brendan Rodgers, and rightfully so, he's a great manager. The media didn't really touch upon it being a burnout. They just said, oh, Leicester got so close again. Oh. But whereas, like, with Leeds... And like before Bielsa came in, the Leeds are falling apart again. Chant was a thing. Like, I think it's just natural to want Leeds to fail, which is fair enough. Like, you can, I think Leeds fans like being disliked. Um, I say with my really Norfolk accent there. But it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's one of them where, I, yeah, it can, the media love a tagline and they're always going to fire with Bielsa burnout, mainly because they know Leeds fans hate it and they'll get engagement with it. So, these fans do their job for them. We we bite every time and it allows them to keep pushing the narrative. So 
I think if Leeds fans were like, ah, don't care, they'd stop. But yeah, it's what it is. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's certainly it's certainly interesting. I think from afar to watch, and Norwich fans have had it a bit as well this season with their own club. How different yeah. people look to uh, sort of rile clubs up and and, and pinpoint different things. Uh, so that's all interesting. Um, just finally then to look ahead to to Sunday. I know you've kind of spoken about a draw not being the worst result, but a lot of Leeds fans won't see it that way, will they? It will, will no. kind of be a, a, a win or nothing against a team who's winless in nine, uh, have only scored two goals. I mean, if Leeds were to get beaten in this game, the, the vast majority of their fans, even if, if you're not, and I know you're a Norfolk boy, so this fixture might mean a little bit more to you personally, but a lot of Leeds fans would, would see that as a bit of a disappointment, wouldn't they, if they didn't leave Carrow Road with three points? Yeah, it's funny how things change in like five years. I remember when I was at sixth form, I would like, I remember we drew at Carrow Road, Ducara scored the equaliser. And I was buzzing and Norwich fans were fuming that they dropped points against Leeds. And how the turn, like how football works is hilarious. Annoying that I never got to see Leeds be good when I was younger in a school full of Norwich fans. Because I used to be like picked on for supporting Leeds. But yeah, I fully get the narrative that a win is, I, I, look, we need to win soon. Like we need to, we beat, um, we should have beaten Newcastle. That was points dropped. Disappointing to not win that. Um, and to be honest, we didn't look great there. But the last week against Wolves, we play like that. We will beat you. And I think is the is the way I look at it. Like we played, we outplayed Wolves, and Wolves were on the verge of four wins on the bounce. So, and we were missing Phillips. We we're missing um, a fully fit Rafinha, and now he's. I think that is the big thing. Like Rafinha is, I would argue, is world class. I know it's hard to say he plays for Leeds, but I think he will be. Um, I think he maybe is against Brandon Williams on that side. That for me would be like. Oh, yeah, there's, there's panic about that, but that's the way I see it. Just finally then, how do you see this one going? I'm going to ask for a score prediction as well. I, I know people don't like giving them really, but it's a, a lot of people tend to go, here's what my head's saying, here's what my heart's saying. So feel free to do that. Maybe you've just got one that maybe they chime and they agree and you're going to have one collectively. But yeah, how do you see this one going at Carrow Road on Sunday? And, and yeah, let's, let's have a score prediction as well. It's, look, it's even going to be 1-1 or we win 3-0. Um, I'll go free. I have to get free nil leads. Why not? Good Maybe man. I'll, yeah, it's just that the the late equaliser last week with Rodrigo really felt like a turning point. Like he went over and he battered the corner flag. Ellen Road erupted. Like that felt like a big moment in our season. And I think it'd be nice to keep that rolling now. Good stuff, Ellis. Thank you for thank you so much for for joining us. Excellent insight. Um, of course, we'll be at Carrow Road on Sunday to bring you a full match coverage of uh, this crucial game for Norwich City against Leeds in the Premier League. Uh, you can join us, of course, on all of our official channels and our website as well. It's certainly going to be intriguing for both sides. Thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you again very soon.